If you want to turn in your Bibles to Philemon, the book of Philemon, uh, you might have to use the table of contents at the beginning to try to find it, but that's okay. That's why the table of contents is there. I'm actually going to read the scripture today a little bit into the sermon. I'm going to do some intro, then I'm going to read it. We've been traveling with Paul in Sunday school and in our reading, and in my sermons I've been uh, dealing with some of the major elements of Paul's ministry. I had a lot of fun last week. If you missed it, I preached about was Paul a jerk and led to some great discussions after church and in Sunday school or in uh, Bible study. Um, today I want to take a look at one of the major things that Paul is known for, which is his writing. Uh, Paul was always traveling. Uh, he, he goes to at least 40 cities that we know of, and a lot of those cities he goes back to. Okay, uh, he just traveled and traveled and traveled. So how do you take care of all of these churches? Well, we, we know that Paul had a network of people, of churches, of workers, that sometimes he was even under house arrest, so he couldn't travel, but he was constantly trying to look after all these churches. And one of the ways that he did that was through writing letters. We have in the Bible 14 letters of, that are attributed to Paul, uh, some of which maybe, have, maybe were written uh, as if they were Paul or by some of Paul's followers a little bit later. Uh, there's a lot of debate on that. Uh, we, we do know, however, from some of the letters that refer to other correspondents that Paul did a lot more letter writing than we have surviving letters. But this was a pretty major part of his ministry. Now, to, to read Paul's letters and to understand Paul's letters, we have to understand that we're reading somebody else's mail. Okay? You're reading somebody else's mail. So if, if I went to your house and got a letter out of the mailbox, I won't do it. It's illegal. But if I did do that, I'd be reading a correspondence that happened for a certain period of time. Uh, it happened for a certain reason, right? I'd be only looking at half of the correspondence because... You have a relationship with that person that I don't know about. And they may be responding to your letter, but I don't have their letter. So when you read Paul's letters, you have to do what we would all have to do if we're reading a letter that we just got. We'd have to try to think about, well, who's writing this letter? And who's it to? And why did he write that letter? There's an occasion. Even if you just write a thinking of you note, there's probably a reason why you were thinking of that person. So what was the occasion? What was happening that led Paul to write this letter? You have to try as best you can to, to sketch out this ongoing conversation that this letter is a part of. Also, like our own letters, uh, how many of you learned to write letters in school, right? And you had an address, and then you said, dear so-and-so. Whether you thought they were dear or not, you were supposed to put it at the beginning of the letter, and then you had kind of an intro, and then you got to the meat of what you were trying to say. There's normally kind of a conclusion, and then you would sign off, right, sincerely. I'm worried that my kids may not know this because of email. They may have never, because uh, email doesn't, and text doesn't seem to use this, but you all remember that you learned how to write a letter. Well, in Paul's day, it was the same thing, okay? There was a certain way that you wrote letters, there was an intro and a conclusion. They had certain formalities they had with letters. And some of those formalities are good tips to help us actually understand what the letter is all about. Now, to explore how this works, today I want to look at this little book that you may have never read before called Philemon. 
It's nice to talk about Philemon because Philemon is really, really short. Okay, it's 25 verses, the whole book. So in a few minutes, I'm going to read for you the whole letter. Okay, we're just going to read the whole letter. And it allows us in one single sermon to look at a whole book and really do it justice. Paul here, let me give you some intro before I read it so that your eyes are watching for certain things. Paul is writing from prison. Paul was imprisoned a number of different times that we know of. Okay, we know he was at Caesarea. We know he was under house arrest and traveled to Rome. He was in prison there. We think maybe he was also imprisoned in Ephesus, though we don't have that directly. Uh, so we're not sure where Paul is when he writes. He, we know he's in prison. He writes it from Timothy as well. That's kind of important to note. In Paul's letters, he is almost never writing by himself. Very often he has somebody writing for him. We think maybe Paul was blind or was going blind. And so occasionally, as in this letter, he, you'll, you'll notice when I read it, he even makes a point to occasionally write something specifically in his own, in his own hands uh, as, as to sort of uh, prove that he's serious, that he's writing, and that you can count on him to do it. Um, Paul is writing to a church that we think is meeting in Colossae. Uh, so that would be part of the church that Colossians is also written out of to a man named Philemon, who apparently is pretty wealthy. He has some servants. He has a large enough house for the church community to meet inside of his house. Um, perhaps he was saved by Paul or, or by, uh, by a conversation with Timothy. That would explain why Timothy is noted as being part of the, the writer, as one of the writers. Also listed is Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, a fellow soldier. Some people have said that maybe that's Philemon's wife and son, uh, but we don't know that. We're just told this woman's name and uh, this man's name. Um, but notice, this is true of all Paul's letters. Paul, even when he writes to a person, he intends for the whole church to hear him. Okay, and so he addresses this not just to Philemon, but to all these other people in his house and the church meeting in his house. It becomes very important to understand that this isn't just a personal letter to Philemon, but it's to the whole community. The occasion of this letter revolves around a man named Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. His name means useful. And Onesimus has run away from Philemon, his master, and managed to find his way to Paul. With Paul, he has become a Christian now and has seemed to have worked with Paul for some time. But Paul, being one who's very serious about reconciliation, goes to send Onesimus back to Philemon. Okay, so we've got a runaway slave, and, and we think maybe, you'll, you'll see it in the letter, that maybe Onesimus actually stole something when he left. Okay, so, so Onesimus is now going to go back to Philemon, and Paul gives him this letter to encourage Philemon in how he's going to respond to Onesimus coming back. Now, this brings up a lot of questions about why does Paul uh, not, what's Paul's view of slavery, right? And we're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. But that is the occasion, so let me read the entire book of Philemon. You watch, it won't take very long. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful for you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he, was wrong, if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owning, owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. I just read you the whole letter. That's it. You just read an entire book of the Bible. Thumbs up for the day. Okay? At least it wasn't Leviticus, right? <laughs> now, first thing, when we read the Bible, we, we have to remember that it's an old book. It's an ancient book. So there are a lot of things that the Bible talks about that, that we see through our eyes, but they wouldn't have seen the same way. And, and it's important for us to talk about that a little bit today because one of those things is slavery. When we talk about slavery, we think of antebellum, Sold from Africa, brought to the New World, slavery. Okay? Um, and, and slavery is not good. It's never been good. Uh, but it wasn't the same then, for the most part, as it was in the South. Okay? Slavery was very common in those days. Survivals of losing armies were often made to be slaves. They were considered property. They could be beaten. Some were abused. In fact, testimony of, testimony of slaves was only allowed in court under a beating. So you can only testify in court as a slave if it was a testimony given while you were being beaten. People were sold and abused. At the same time, you need to understand that slavery was not racially based, not ethnically centered. Uh, slaves could own property, they could save money, they could earn their freedom. Slaves could marry and have children, and 
Uh, they wouldn't be split up. Their houses would be respected. Uh, in some ways, slavery helped people from starving. There's even record of, of people who would, would earn their freedom and would stay on because they had a, a good boss and a good household and, and, and could do well for themselves. Um, so it was a mix. Everybody see that? Sometimes it was bad. Sometimes it actually looked more like employment than antebellum slavery. Okay, it looked more like working for a boss and getting a paycheck and doing what your boss told you than it did uh, slavery the way we think of it. So it's very mixed, okay? Um, it's a, and, and the economy was not so driven by slave, slave labor. Uh, in fact, there's, there's record of the Romans where maybe even well over half of the Roman Empire was either slaves or freed slaves because they had expanded so much territory they'd won a lot of battles. So we, we've got to keep that in mind that maybe our view of slavery wasn't the same as the slavery then, uh, but it also wasn't great. Sometimes it got really bad. And either way, runaway slaves were definitely a problem. Okay? So if Onesimus were to come back after running away, uh, it would be expected that he would be severely beaten for what he had done. Otherwise, you would have all kinds of slaves running away. Okay? So when Paul writes to Philemon, he's writing into a very delicate situation. Okay? He has learned to love this Onesimus. He says Onesimus has found Jesus, has been part, has been helpful, has been useful to him. Remember, Onesimus' name means useful. Okay, so when he says that Onesimus is useful, it's not the same word as his name, but it is a play on words. It's another word that means useful. Okay, so if Paul writes to Philemon and says, I, I want you to free this guy, okay, that poses a problem for him in creating a lot of social uproar. It also causes a problem for a Philemon who would be expected to beat this man. And so how, how, does, how does Paul weigh into this very difficult dilemma? He writes this masterful, short letter to Philemon and to the church. And notice the importance that it's to Philemon, but who's going to read it? Everybody. Okay, so there's some social pressure. Okay, I could tell Philemon privately, but this letter was meant to force Philemon to act this out in front of the whole church community. Okay, he starts by commenting that he is a prisoner, reminding him of his own sacrifices. And they've been praying for Paul to be free from prison. Okay, so Paul, in putting that little subtle thing in there, is reminding, reminding Philemon and the church how important freedom is to them. Okay, then he begins to build Philemon up for his faith, his sharing of the faith, for how good he's doing for his church. We could say build up, the other word we might use is butter up, right? Okay, you want to do a major ask on somebody, uh, you start with sugar. And that's what he's doing. He, he seems to be sort of complimenting Philemon. Okay, then in verse 8 and 9, Paul says, He is bold enough to command for what is required, but instead I'm going to appeal for you. In other words, I can command you to do this. I have the authority to just tell you what to do, but I'm going to choose to appeal to you. Uh, I'm going to appeal to your good side, which is kind of an awesome argument, right? It's like when your mom used to say, don't make me tell you twice, which basically was the twice, you know what I mean? Paul's saying, I could command you, but I'm going to appeal to you, okay? But in the way he's doing it, it's kind of a command. And he says then later, uh, 
in verse 21, I'm confident in your obedience to this thing that wasn't a command. Okay? This gentle way of pushing. Um, Paul says that Onesimus was formerly useless and now is useful both to me and to you. Again, that's a play on his name. It's not the same word, Onesimus, but it's a word meaning basically the same thing. So he's saying, hey, this guy that's useful, well, he was not useful, and now he is useful. It's kind of a fun pun on words that he's using there. Apparently, Onesimus has helped Paul in some way, maybe taking care of him in prison, maybe delivering these letters. We never think about that, but there's no postal service in the first century. How does all Paul's letters get to everywhere? He's got to have somebody take them. And so maybe Onesimus has been a little bit of a courier. We're not quite sure what he's done, but, but Paul's heart has gone out to this Onesimus. But at the same time, uh, he needs Onesimus. Paul believes so much in reconciliation that, that he doesn't think it's right to keep using Onesimus when he has run away and maybe even stolen from Philemon. So Paul says that Onesimus is no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother in the flesh and in the spirit. In other words, he's trying to set up for Philemon, look, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. But the relationship is different. Okay, the relationship is different. Because of what Jesus has done and because of Onesimus' faith in that, your relationship with him is going to be different. Paul says in his own writing, so that it would be showing how serious he is, if Philemon owes anything, put it on my account. But what does he also say? He says, Philemon, you owe me everything. Yeah, you owe me your faith. You owe me eternal life. Because it's either from, we don't know if it's from his ministry or from Timothy's ministry. But if it was Timothy, well, who sent Timothy there? Paul. Paul sent Timothy as an extension. Uh, And so it's a subtle hint. You owe me everything. So if Onesimus owes you anything, go ahead and put it on my account. Oh, and by the way, keep a room ready. Okay? A little bit of pressure there, right? Keep a room ready. Uh, keep a bed ready for me because I'm praying I'm going to be free soon and when I am, I'm going to come. Okay? And um, so the question is, does Philemon have much of a choice? No. No. But but, but here's where where we got a question. What is Paul really asking Philemon to do? Well, I think he's really making two arguments. Number one, I, I think he is arguing that Onesimus should be free. Onesimus should be free. Okay, this is one of those things where we wish maybe Paul had said a little bit more. But Paul isn't going to command. He's trying to appeal. I also think that when Philemon is reading this letter, one of the things he's reading Paul saying between the lines is, hey, this Philemon guy is really helpful for me. And I wanted to keep him, but I needed to send him back to you so you could reconcile. And I hope you do more than I told you. I think maybe Paul wants Onesimus back. Okay, I think you finding this guy helpful, finding him good for the ministry, and Philemon, you're doing okay with him. Free him and send him to me so that he can keep helping me with the gospel. But that still leaves us with a difficult question. Does, does Paul do enough against slavery? Is he in some way giving permission for slavery? He does even in other places talk about how slaves should obey their masters. Does Paul do enough? Paul okay with slavery. We wish Paul would start a revolution. 
declare slavery bad, command Philemon to free Onesimus, start a marketing campaign, get in political office. But here, I think, is the bigger lesson from Philemon, is that the gospel and power don't go together. Okay? The gospel and political power, the gospel and social power, the gospel and financial resources. Whenever we look at the church's history, when the church has power, it becomes about the church's power, not about Christ's power. And the model of how we're supposed to do the gospel is a Jesus who sacrifices himself, right? The political power doesn't get it done. In fact, it's in spite of the political power that Jesus goes to the cross, and I think Paul's trying to emphasize that in saying that he's a prisoner. In saying, I'm, I could obey, I could command you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to care about causes, about justice, about our world where Jesus has something to say. But the gospel, hear me, because I think the church is really messing this up in America. The gospel also pushes us to think about how we go about working in this world and it is not about power and it is not about authority and it is not about forcing people and anytime the church has gone that route it has not gone well it's about self-sacrificing love it's about appealing it's about love and in this world that needs love so much we cannot offer that love with force we have to offer through appealing. So Paul goes on what I would call a gospel assault, but it's not a frontal assault. Okay? It's not line up my tanks and force Philemon. It's a gospel assault. It's an assault of self-sacrifice and love. That we are a people that are radically convinced that we were slave to sin and now have freedom in Christ Jesus. And so we, like Paul, take freedom very seriously. That people who are stuck in poverty shouldn't be that way. That people who are stuck in broken relationships shouldn't stay that way. But we don't get caught up in ideological wars and debates and power. We love, we value people, we, we appeal. We do it on a relationship basis. Now we don't de definitively know what Philemon did or whatever came of Onesimus. But there is an early church tradition outside of the Bible that there was a man who became bishop in Ephesus, where we think maybe Paul had written this letter. And that bishop's name was Timothy. But after Timothy was bishop of Ephesus, there was a bishop named Onesimus. And so the history tells us that perhaps Philemon does free Onesimus and send him back to Ephesus where he becomes a leader in the church. It's even said that this bishop Onesimus, he's listed as a martyr, having been arrested, taken to Rome, and by some traditions he was stoned, and by some traditions he was beheaded. Now, was this our Onesimus? We can't say for sure, but I certainly wonder if it was. And so where is God causing you to care about this world? Where is God giving you a heart that breaks for something that is needed in our community and in our world? And how will you start your gospel assault on that issue? Not trying to get power, not trying to get authority, 
Okay, not trying to get loud. That's what our world does. How do you get quiet in loving those that are in need? In appealing for the good in other people because that is the self-sacrificing assault that the gospel calls us to lead in this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.